Well, good Monday to you. It's April 11th. You're locked into Real Talk. Jesperson here with uh, John Hicks, our technical producer. A good show in store. We've got our uh, first guests already locked and loaded, ready to go. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Dwayne Bratt, Erica Baruts, uh, ready to chime in on Jason Kenny's leadership review. That went down in Red Deer over the weekend. And, of course, the mail-in ballots will be coming in. Uh, thousands and thousands of United Conservative Party members eager to have their say, to assess the leadership right now. The current leader, what does this mean? What are the implications for the party? We're going to get into that. Uh, was Mr. Kenny's messaging, was the premier's messaging on brand? Was it accurate? We'll get an assessment from uh, two voices who I know will come at this from different angles, which is kind of the whole point of a show like this. Want to hear different perspectives and and chew on them and, and, and sort of see do our best to try to digest what we're hearing and then, uh, you know, see what happens from there. What lands with us? Uh, what do we feel is an accurate assessment of the state of politics in Alberta? Never a dull moment. We've got other stories that we're covering uh, today and this week. There's a lot going on. Uh, Will Smith banned uh, for 10 years from attending awards affiliated with or associated with the Academy. That was announced Friday after our show went off air. So we'll, we'll maybe spend some time getting into that. I want to show you the easiest work day ever. I'm going to show you a video of somebody who managed to make $255,000 in eight seconds over the weekend. I just saw this. It's such a good story. Hey, it's such a good story. More power to him. The only person that probably doesn't love it is the owner of the business, but that's all right. You've got to keep your employees happy. So we'll get to those details, plus positive reflections coming up later today. Uh, Pierre Poliev is big on the campaign trail. Huge turnout in Kelowna. You may have seen that. And, of course, he's just released a video about housing prices in Vancouver that a lot of people are talking about. Um, people wondering, I mean, this, you know, I mean, sort of when is Jean Charest going to ramp up his leadership campaign? And, and when are we going to see some some meaningful action from other contenders for that leadership race? I mean, this is Pierre Poliev running away with it, isn't it? Well, I don't think that Eric or Dwayne would mind me putting him on the spot and asking him about their thoughts on the federal leadership race either. I don't think they'll mind. So let's let's get to this because they're ready to rock. Of course, you know that this show happens because we have an amazing team, uh, an amazing roster of sponsors, and that includes our friends at Bitcoin. Well, I try not to spend too much time looking at the price of Bitcoin or the price of crypto. Some people kind of obsess over it. They check it every day. They check it multiple times a day. I like to take a step back and just let it happen on a macro level. But I did notice that Bitcoin's down about 5% today. So I did a bit of digging. Well, why is it? Is it it's related to maybe rising rates? Uh, is it related maybe to, to some action on the, you know, the tech-heavy NASDAQ? Depending on who you read and where you're reading it, you might get different takes. Sometimes I just want to go to an expert. I want to talk face-to-face -face or over the phone. If that sounds like you too, I recommend the team, including Benny at Bitcoin Well. You can find them under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. This is Real Talk. Here is my dad, Ryan Jesperson. Well, thank you, Wyatt Rudy. I love you very much, my boy. <laughs> Let's get into this. That's just like, you know, I wanted to start the week on a Monday morning yeah. listening to the little man's voice. Heard he lost a tooth this weekend. He did lose yeah. a tooth this weekend. He actually lost it, uh, he suspects, in some ice cream. Oh, so un unclaimed, unfound. It is unclaimed, unfound, wow. but he wrote uh, a, a very... Uh, sincere letter to the Tooth Fairy, letting her know what had happened. Okay. And uh, asking her if she would still consider visiting. And uh, I'm thrilled to report that the Tooth Fairy did report, uh, 
for duty. I was going to say, and did he still get the payout? He still got the payout, <laughs> and uh, and it, and it turns out actually that this is maybe more common than you might think. Oh, so a video. My wife posted a video of of, of Wyatt talking about how he believed he had swallowed his tooth, and he's absolutely thrilled because this is the first tooth that he lost. Mm-hmm. And um, and it turns out we heard from a lot of people that said, oh yeah, our kids are. Some people said like our kids swallowed like almost all of their teeth. It seemed. I, I thought, would imagine okay. that happens a lot. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. So he's now got this like awesome little gap there on the bottom. He's got a little window. Yeah. So yeah, he's pretty stoked he's got about the hockey, that. Hockey, hockey. Yeah, he does have the teeth hockey there already. Like, that's right. He'll get his adult <laughs> teeth for 15 years, and then depending on how hockey goes, maybe he'll get to lose those ones too. We'll see. Uh, Red Deer, I could probably come up with some sort of a political metaphor for that. Yeah. Um, you know, politicians sometimes, uh, not always unscathed, these toothless grins, metaphorically speaking. Uh, Jason Kenney uh, taking some pummeling in the polls, but still showing up confident in Red Deer this weekend, telling party members that he's got to be the one to lead the United Conservatives into the next provincial election. We shall see. As you know, more than 15,000 people are expected to cast a ballot in what is now a mail-in leadership review. Keeping an eye on this, a political science professor from Mount Royal University down in beautiful Calgary, Alberta, Dr. Dwayne Bratt, and one of Alberta's uh, senators-elect. She is a VP for Western Canada, for uh, Enterprise Canada, and, of course, the founding president of the United Conservative Party, Erica Baruts. To both of you, a good morning. Thanks for making time for us. Uh, Dr. Bratt, we'll start with you. Uh, and by the way, a shout out to fellow podcasters in Western Canada. I, I'm suspecting you may have had a late night. I saw that you were one of those in attendance for the Strategists Live event last night. How was that? It looked like a packed house for those it, three. It, it was a lot of fun and uh, a lot of political watchers, obviously, in the uh, um, in the audience, I was sitting in a in a box with uh, with Janet Brown, the, the pollster, um, Heather Campbell, who's on the Calgary Police Commission, and Nahed Denchi, who is currently looking for a job. Yeah, you, he didn't uh, he didn't shine any light or anything that you can break his story for us on what he's up to. I no, know no, doing. no breaking story here. But okay. you know, Lisa Young and and Trevor Toome and. Uh, Jennifer Winter, yeah, it was it was a fun fun night. The who's who of Alberta uh, poly watchers, as you said. Um, I want to give both of you a chance here, and, and please do accept our invitation to to jump in on each other and treat this back and forth. You don't have to wait for me to ask you a question, but Dwayne, you were keeping obviously a keen eye and tweeting about it. Uh, the premier's address to the party faithful over the weekend and uh, your general assessments uh, by the end of it. He said, "Don't judge me, you know, by the Almighty." He said, "Judge me as compared to the alternative." That was kind of the line that seemed to stick yeah and i mean it's uh, there's been a lot of discussion about that line he he said he stole it from stephen harper and then others said well joe biden has used that and barack obama has used that and pierre trudeau has used that so it, it's an old line but that's clearly how he's he's framing um his his discussion i will say just off the top this is the most unusual leadership review uh, we've ever seen in canada <laughs> and i mean because leadership reviews are common uh, particularly in opposition parties and, and common in government. But all of the circumstances around the dates and the rules and the fact that you're having a government, you know, pulling out all the stops to to defend itself, we really haven't seen anything like this. Maybe 1983 at the federal level uh, between Joe Clark and, and Brian Mulroney behind the scenes, but Clark had lost an election. Clark was out of power. Kenny is in power with the full authority of the premier. So this whole thing is is quite bizarre. I thought it was going to be a taped message 
um, on on Saturday. And then lo and behold, it's it's live in front of an audience uh, of staffers and volunteers with placards and waving it, a very pro-Kenny crowd. Uh, Cynthia Moore, the, the president, set it up uh, using some of the same talking points as, as Jason Kenney. So the, the party's not neutral here. At least the party brass is not neutral here. And they are clearly on support of Kenny and his message of unity, that it's either unity or disunity, and disunity leads to Rachel Notley. And that was, that was the message. We can get into the speech in more detail, but that was the overall theme. Erica. It's me or Rachel Notley. Erica, how do you feel about Dwayne's assessment of it? He calls it bizarre. Is it to you? Well, I mean, I've lived through many leaderships, federal, provincial, all of those things. I do think having an SGM is unique. Uh, so it's a special general meeting as opposed to having this at your annual general meeting. Um, I don't think it's bizarre per se. I'd say like as a party member, I mean, it's not ideal because it was it's changed uh, form. But regardless, I think that they landed on the, the best spot for all members. It's a one member, one vote. So uh, even though they went a little bit roundabout to get there, I think the, the direction and the choice of, of how we're doing this leadership review now uh, speaks for, for the ability for the members to have it. Um, I don't disagree that the, the, member, the message that came out of Premier Kennedy's speech was about unity. And I think that that is the, the right message. I mean, I'll say it as a conservative, uh, conservatives are their own worst enemy, uh, as we see at the, the national and provincial level right now. Um, we are fighting more amongst ourselves than we are um, with the opposition. And so I think that message is, it will resonate with the members about unity and the need to let's not fight or go into a leadership uh, race where, you know, then we're again fighting internally. Let's Let's get together um, and and move forward. You know, I always think there's a little bit more humility that can be added to a tone in a speech, um, but but I'm not his speechwriter. So well, this and it's it's such an interesting situation right now, and I'd, I'd love both your takes on this, uh, Dwayne. To you first, like you, this isn't a, sort of a standard scenario where there's a you know a, a popular premier in a province where everybody's sort of like falling in line. Like I know that this is maybe a bit of an abstract comparison, but like let's take a look at the federal. Liberal Party right now, and there's there's rumblings. Although you know Justin Trudeau's cooked up this deal to probably uh, extend his time as prime minister before the next election. A lot of people are saying, well, yeah, but the next leader of the Liberals is probably, and then fill in the blank, whether it's Christian Freeland or somebody else. But nobody's out there actively campaigning. You know, cut to Alberta. You've got a situation where this premier is saying it's got to be me. I'm the best. Uh, choice, the best option to lead this party into the next election. And then you've got MLAs. I mean, Brian Jean just swore in, I think it was on Friday, late last week, when he's there with a mandate to take the leader out openly. You know, you've got Danielle Smith ruminating about a leadership run. Dwayne, it, it, it's somewhat remarkable, right? Like, this vote hasn't even happened yet. you got people within the party, Mr. Jean in particular, saying, I'm ready to take the job. Well, you actually did used to see that with the federal liberals when mm. Jean Chrétien uh, mobilized against John Turner and then Paul Martin <laughs> mobilized against uh, Jean Chrétien. So, you know, there is a history in the in the Liberal Party of doing that as well. I think what is different here is just how quickly it has emerged. I mean, it, 2019 wasn't that long ago when you win an overwhelming majority government. The issue about unity versus disunity is the very fact that they're having a review shows that there's a unity problem within the party, right? Two MLAs have been kicked out of caucus. There is a, uh, a new MLA in Brian Jean who is openly calling for the premier to resign. You've got several others who have either expressed non-confidence or also called for, for the premier to resign. So I'm not sure there's a scenario 
no matter what the vote is, where this party sticks together. The question is, how does it splinter? Does it splinter with just a few people leaving? Does it splinter into a second or third party? We'll have to uh, we'll have to see. But this is a new party. It's only um, five years old. Um, the there was a reason that Wild Rose and PCs were apart for so long. They came together. COVID just blew up that coalition even more so, but I think there were pre-existing tensions within the party on urban rural grounds, ideological grounds, uh, pragmatic versus ideologue, power versus principle. And it, it, this is all coming to a light now. Now, Kenny is the figurehead because he's the leader, because he's the premier. I thought Kenny would be able to keep this party together. It would be a future leader who would have trouble, just like Stephen Harper could keep the coalition together. Future leaders have had trouble at the federal level, but even Kenny has been able, unable to do this. So I don't know what vote could happen on May 18th that will keep the UCP Put the keep the U in the UCP. And keep the U in the UCP. Yeah. Well, Kenny says that he wants fifty. Eric, I can tell you're ready to go. Kenny says he wants fifty percent plus one. I can't imagine a conservative political leader in the province uh, claiming that they had the the uh, the justification to stick around with fifty percent plus one. But I digress. Uh, Erica, I, I want to hand you the floor, but I, but I, I would be curious as part of what you're about to tell us. I'd be curious for your insights. Look back, hey, to those five years. You're the founding president of the party. Dwayne talks about these inherent divisions, and I think to a certain degree that's probably all. True. I mean, this sort of like that perpetual state of big picture conservatism uh, versus smaller conservatism. But but if you could shine some light for us, what do you remember about five years back when those unity talks were beginning? Yeah, I'll jump to that. But I want to uh, uh, come back to something that Dr. Bratt said. And just a point of clarification, like the leadership review isn't happening um, as a byproduct of whatever the current environment or however you want to frame it. It's actually because, as, as Dr. Bratt said, it's a new party. There's never been a leadership review. Um, even the leader and the, the party decided that um, it's most appropriate to do in advance of, of an election. So they said within the first you know four years, this was the year. So it was going to happen, um, you know, either way uh, in advance of the, the election. So just a point of clarification, it's not because there's not people calling for it. I think definitely there, there have yeah. been people calling for it and people calling for an even earlier moment. The, the date of the review has frequently shifted. Right. It was supposed to be. Yeah. Next and the party. Fall. Yeah. Yeah. And I would agree uh, that the party heard from the grassroots members and moved it up. Now, never no one's ever going to be happy uh, in full or you're never going to satisfy everyone. So, yes, there's definitely. But all I'm saying is that the leadership review is happening uh, in advance of the election regardless. And they have moved it up from the original plan. Um, yeah. No. I, listen, it's two parties come together, whether it's, you know, looking back on federal history, um, anything like that, it takes time. The party is still only five years old. Um, and, and there's still a lot of work to be done. I could say, you know, when I, I was uh, president, it wasn't, you know, everyone happy and, and all on the same page. Like there was still a lot of bringing the two legacy parties together. And that work never needs to be forgotten, because that's exactly why um, they came together to form a government. I do think, though, one of the challenges is there was a lot of individuals that had never been, uh, don't understand the difference between party politics and, and being government, right? Um, and I think that that was one of the bigger, biggest challenges that maybe wasn't addressed to the best of its ability by this government is onboarding people to what it's like to be government and how you don't always um, get to be as grassroots or involved, um, you know, speaking to your members because now you're representing the entire province. So I think that's been a challenge that they maybe haven't done uh, as well to to 
onboard their their members as well as their MLAs on how to be a government uh, member as opposed to opposition. Because let me tell you, opposition is way more fun. You can throw grenades as opposed to try and sure. uh, manage them every day. So it's definitely, uh, I think they haven't done a perfect job of getting to that point, like you said, Ryan. Um, there's definitely work to be done on unity, but I, I, I wouldn't say that the party is doomed regardless to, to what Mr. Bratt or Dr. Bratt was saying before. It is definitely um, coming out of this and it's going to need to be, you know, everyone coming together. And uh, I would say true leadership is going to come in character characteristics of, in, of leaders uh, is going to need to happen after as well. I think we've all lived in Alberta politics and especially on the conservative side. It's, it's not usually the leadership race or the number. Uh, that can also impact the fate of a leader. It is a, you know, the caucus has taken out several of the conservative leaders and premiers in the past. So, you know, after May 18th, regardless, there's still, um, you know, a runway of, of things that need to happen within the party to to keep it together. Well, and and I, I want to, I'd love for both of you to look into your crystal balls here, because I'd, I'd be curious to know how this goes after the fact, like assuming, like, let's say the premier gets, you know, 55%, 58%, 62%, whatever, something sub 80 I mean, you look at like Ralph Klein, Eddie Stelmack. I mean, you two will remember more about the specifics than I will, but they weren't 50% plus one or lower than 50% when they walked away. It was anything less than a resounding show of support, and they were gone, right, Dwayne? Well, and Eric is right. The legal threshold in the Hardy Constitution is 50% plus one, okay? But Klein left at 55, and in Kenny's speech on Saturday, he said that that was a mistake, that Kenny should, or uh, Klein should not have left with 55. I think we can all have a discussion about the historic uh, nature of what was going on in 2006. But Stelmack and Redford both got 77%. Uh, largely stage managed, they were able to control access to who got to vote and who didn't, and they were soon gone. Uh, Joe Clark got 66% stepped down, had a leadership race. So yes, Kenny can stay on, and I think he will stay on if he gets more than 50%. But then the fallout occurs. How do you get people to donate money? How do you get people to volunteer? He put a line in the stand and said, clear warning to Brian Jean, if I get 50% plus one, right, you're out of caucus, right? And maybe Peter Guthrie, you're out of caucus too. And Jason Steffen, you're out of caucus too. Well, now you're talking, there could be five, six, eight people yeah. on the opposition benches from the conservative side. So yes, you can get a technical victory with 50% plus one, but that's not party unity. Erica, you've, you've, you've been served in party leadership and you're also a strategist, right? I, I mean, you, you got to be looking at this scenario and as, as Dwayne describes it, I mean, I've heard some people speculate that doesn't mean it's true, doesn't mean it's going to happen, but some people have speculated that you could have a, an absolute toilet flushing type moment where maybe the premier kicks 15 people out. I mean, like you have to worry, though, on the flip side, don't you? If you're Jason Kenney, uh, if you're in the leadership of, of this government, that you could be creating some form of a monster you get enough support with a charismatic enough leader and then all of a sudden you're a year out from an election there's a lot of disgruntled albertans particularly in rural areas which we kind of know how a third a third a third works in alberta it's not insignificant i mean if you're if you're advising this government if you're advising this premier you have to be careful how many people you give the boot to i think you got a clean house though you got to come in afterwards and set a tone that like you're on the team or you're not. And I think that that hasn't been done maybe to the to the extreme it could be done. Um, so he does need to come in and he does need to, to clean house. I think it's fair to say it beforehand if that's his intentions. 
because you do need all hands on deck and you don't need to have these internal caucus battles. So definitely, I think that there will be members. Uh, I can't give you the number. I'm sure we could all have a few drinks and chat about that. But um, he's got to he's got to get the people that are are um, you know not contributing to the cause. And you know I don't think it's frankly cool to have people that come in and you're already vying for a job that's not even in theory uh, posted yet. Um, and so it doesn't help from the Brian Jean and Danielle. Smith perspective of saying, oh, well, I would, I would do it, or I'm getting back into politics because ultimately like they, they're, they should be there to represent that constituency and not, not looking for a, a bigger job. If the opportunity presents itself cool, but like to come out and do this, I don't think is a, a constructive for the party. It screams to me more about their own personal ego than the, uh, you know, the, their will uh, for party unity. Um, so yeah, no, I don't think there's, uh, he's got to come in, he's got to be direct, he's got to, you know, set a tone. And I think that there will be a, a, a group of folks that might join together um, as a, another party, uh, or another group or collective or caucus, whatever you want to call it. Um, but that's, you know, that's got to happen, because they're clearly not aligned. Um, as a team right now. Dwayne, in your assessment is, I mean, if, if, if you're wanting to talk about this government's chances of, of securing re-election next year, whenever it happens, uh, is Jason Kenney, I mean, from a, from a political science uh, standpoint, your perspective, is Jason Kenney the best option? I mean, you, you could argue that both Danielle Smith and Brian Jean have had shots uh, in an election. They both had an opportunity to lead a conservative party in Alberta. Neither of them was able to take that party to the promised land. Uh, we were kind of joking a little bit off air about how, you know, conservative politics with regards to leadership kind of resembles the Canadian Football League, where it seems to be the same eight coaches just moving around to different teams. Not a lot of fresh faces, although you could probably poke some holes in that. If I watched a little more football, it might be a bit more accurate. But these are familiar faces. Is Kenny the best shot the conservatives have? That's the decision that the UCP members are going to have, right? Uh, because he has a winning track record. Brian Jean lost the 2015 election. Danielle Smith lost the 2012 election. Kenny won the 2019 election. But the question is, can the UCP win with Jason Kenny at the, at the helm? And that's where you've got all of these polls coming out that suggest otherwise. That they suggest in some cases the UCP is now within the margin of error of, of Rachel Notley, but that Kenny has huge disapproval rates amongst the population. We've We've got other polls that say the UCP would do much better with a different leader than with Jason Kenney, but they don't identify who that other leader would be because I don't think it's Brian G. I don't think it's Daniel Smith. Is there someone uh, that if there was a leadership race would come out of the woodwork and, and move their, their pace forward? The other challenge that Kenny has is pivoting from that speech on Saturday. That was a speech directly aimed at 60,000 UCP members and it was inflammatory rhetoric and it was red meat for that base could he use that same discussion about it's either me or the ndp and i disagree it's not that i disagree with the ndp but the ndp is trying to destroy alberta the ndp wants a vassal state for trudeau this is the language that kenny used he talked about wokeism in the educational system critical race theory in the educational system how do you move on from that sort of rhetoric within your own party to a larger electorate. That's the issue that he's got going forward, in addition to some of these polls that I've just talked about. 
Mm. I would argue, though, that his speech, the purpose is to talk to members, not to Alberta. So, you know, some of the things. But other Albertans are going to listen to this and other Albertans are going to say, is this the real Jason Kenney? Is this really what the UCP believe? Not that we have policy differences with Rachel Notley and the NDP, but the NDP is fundamentally evil that wants to destroy Alberta. Right. And had they got a second opportunity, they would do it. Uh, that's the language he used. People are watching this who aren't party members. And that's the beauty of democracy is that they can decide that when the time comes. But I do think that you got to come back to looking at what I think he was trying to accomplish and whether we agree or disagree that the tone wasn't appropriate um, or or the language used is he's he's talking about a review on him, on what is he capable of doing. We are in an unprecedented time where a, pre, a previous premier is coming back. So, you know, he's got to play up his track record. He's got to talk about the difference between him and someone else because we've never had another, uh, someone that's held the role of premier coming in. And frankly, I think that's the angle he's trying to, to get across, um, a, a narrative that he's trying to drive is there's me, and we don't have a long runway, like a year in politics is, is not very long in order to you know, say, otherwise we're going into a leadership race. Um, we're going to be, you know, continue to be divided while you pick your next leader. Then a leader has you know, a couple months to get the party rallied together to try and form what that new party under that leader looks like in order to go to an election with a very you know, competent competition, someone that's been in that role before. So I think he's trying to line it up that you know, it's him versus Notley. And I think that, you know, he in that case was not speaking to the the decided or maybe the people that were intending to go to the SGM. He's talking to the undecideds of the party base on in that speech. Erica, do you feel it, it strikes me and I'm, and I'm not saying that the official opposition hasn't been doing anything, uh, but it, but but they've not been. Uh, you know, you remember like in 2017, obviously a bit of a different circumstance, but you've got Jason Kenney coming back from Ottawa and he's going to unite the conservatives and he has his five point plan. And there's like rah, rah, rah and headlines everywhere in the blue truck. And he was getting radio interviews and TV. He was all over the place and, and throwing bombs in the legislature, metaphorically, of course, obviously, and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, it was like it was a very prominent outspoken opposition that was painting a picture <laughs> two years out from an election of what that you know, premier in waiting as he was purporting himself to be what Alberta would look like under his leadership cut to right now. And I want both your takes on this, but Erica, you first, it's, it seems like the NDP's just kind of been relatively speaking pretty quiet and I'm sure that there's strategy there and there's got to be reasoning behind it, but, but do you feel the same way I do? I mean, have you, have you been noticing that? And if so, what do you read into it? Well, I would say as something I said before, like there's there's enough action happening within the, the party itself that, you know, I think the NDP is looking at it and saying, well, we'll just let them them have at it. Uh, and they don't actually really need to to be engaged as much. And they're coming at it from more, you know, if you're watching question period um, or anything like that, they're coming at it from like specific policies, I think, that are they're going to ru be running on as opposed to getting into the, the fist fight kind of um uh, mentality that you might usually see from an opposition. I think they're kind of just taking a step back and, and watching the action like so many of us are. Is that what you I, think, Dwayne? The, the NDP is not being quiet, at least in Calgary, and that's where their focus is. Calgary will be the battleground as it was in 2019, as it was in 2015, as it was in 2012. So we have had a series of very competitive nomination battles uh, in Calgary. Mm -hmm. There was a large rally that Rachel Notley had on Saturday in Calgary. They have taken out ads all of last week 
on local news and the masters, right? Those are the targets of where you want to uh, do your advertising, live sporting events and local news. And the ads have been fascinating because it's not about NDP policies. It's not about the UCP policies. It's not about Jason Kenney. It's a bunch of people talking about how nice Rachel Notley is, how much they like Rachel Notley, which is a very successful strategy and a very subtweet obviously, of what is going on in the UCP and some of the unpopularity of, of Jason Kenney. And so um, Rachel Notley has much higher approval ratings uh, than, than Kenny does. And so it's an interesting strategy. They're not doing it in Edmonton because they're going to win Edmonton. They're going to sweep Edmonton. But Calgary will be the battleground, and that's where they've been active. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to be having a beer later today with Barry Morishita. It's been a while since I've seen him, the, the leader of the uh, the Alberta party, the former mayor of Brooks. And I know a lot of people will, will say, hey, look back to this 2019 election. Say, I think off the top of my head, 172,000 votes approximately for the Alberta party. So not a joke. I mean, like, you know, about about 20 percent of what the United Conservatives saw, about 35 percent of what the, the NDP were, were able to get vote wise. But of course, zero seats. And since then, I think it's been a struggle for the Alberta party as, as generally speaking, people are starting to describe Alberta's political landscape as a two party system. Erica, is there is there a way in your world where you see the Alberta party could capitalize and gain some momentum off maybe what's happening within the United Conservative Party right now? There's a lot of people that would probably describe themselves as small C conservatives that support the Alberta party. Yeah, and it's not often that you see someone vote conservative and then next election new democrat and back and forth right. like we, we are we are our own <laughs> province here or a unique province in that in that regard i do think that there's a lot of folks that would be looking for a different alternative because you know it's, it's it is hard to go from one uh side of the spectrum to the other so I, but i would say that requires money it requires operations um organization and I don't think that, you know, the opportunities for them, Rachel Notley is currently campaigning in them. So they've got a lot of work to do if they want to be relevant. Um, I see a lot of folks just not being happy with either option and maybe going uh, to more, a more centrist option. But I don't, I don't see them making a big comeback in any way, primarily because I never see or hear from them. At least I see the NDP doing stuff from the party level. Uh, Dwayne, you think they could make well, some to get, noise? to get all professorial here uh, i've got a piece coming out showing that alberta has transitioned into a two-party system mm. after over a century of one party dominated started under 2015 solidified under 2019 and it's moved forward so the alberta party got nine percent in the 2019 election it's polling at around two or three percent financial donations the ucp and the ndp combined are well over 95 percent of all donations uh, I doubt that any party, including the Wild Rose Independence Party, will able to have 87 candidates. Um, this is a, uh, a two-party system, much like what we see in, in other provinces now. You know, uh, party on the left, party on the right, like in Saskatchewan, like in BC, like in Manitoba. Uh, and it's taken us over 100 years to, to get to that point. So, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, online chatter about the Alberta party. Um, and there always will be, um, but uh, they're they're very small and and insignificant. 
Okay. Uh, before, and, and I respect both your time, and I know you've both got to go. Eric is joining us from Winnipeg today and like smack dab right in the middle of your morning meetings. And so I got we got to stick to this. But before we do, uh, Pierre Polyev's making a lot of noise. Obviously, had a, a big turnout in, in Kelowna. And uh, th- this tweet that's uh, just been out uh, this morning, about 6 o'clock this morning, he's talking about big city gatekeepers like Vancouver City Hall destroying home ownership dreams of working class youth. He's pointing to sort of a, a shack in Vancouver that's listed for four and a half, five million dollars and the message seems to be resonating with people Polyev's making a lot of noise big turnout in Kelowna uh, Erica what do you make early of this leadership campaign from Pierre Polyev originally from Calgary of course the MP out of Ottawa's I mean Jean Charest he's got name recognition but when it comes to the actual campaign the boots on the ground I don't know that anybody's comparing to what Pierre's team's doing No, they definitely came out of the gates early, organized and hit the ground running and they haven't really stopped. Like he, I think had, had, you know, in theory mapped this out uh, relatively well. His team is, you know, across from, from coast to coast. Uh, I, I know that in your intro, you were talking about starting to hear from other people. I would love to start hearing from other candidates and having them get out and be doing the same type of thing, Um, you know, because nobody wants it just to be a runaway. And I saw a recent poll that he's at 66% and, you know, there's still some time, a um, couple months here for, for other candidates to get out, but they got to light a fire under their butt and, you know, start hustling to, to talk to people. Well, for sure. And, and, and Jean Shrey over the weekend, basically, you know, escalating his attacks on, on Mr. Polyev to be sure, uh, referencing the trucker convoy. He says, quote, everybody knows that Pierre Polyev supported the blockade. I'm sorry if you want to be the leader of a party. If you want to sit in the House of Commons and make laws, you have to obey them. He said that's not just a failure in leadership. It disqualifies you, as far as I'm concerned, as being someone who thinks or aspires to be a leader of a party. That from Jean Charest about Pierre Polyev, Dwayne. Yeah, I mean, Polyev, yeah, and he's having to respond like that because Polyev has such a lead. He was the front runner before this even started. Uh, he was probably jockeying for position uh, before Aaron O'Toole's body was even cold. Um, he's got support uh, in conservative circles right across the country. You see the enthusiasm. He's got many MPs supporting him. Uh but this isn't about how many people you can get to a rally. Uh, in fact, under the point system that the federal conservatives have, uh, you know, there's uh, getting 1,500 people in uh, Interior BC doesn't matter as much as signing up members in parts of Quebec and parts of Ontario where the federal conservatives are weak. So Brown is a prominent organizer. Um, we'll see if that's what he's under, uh, doing right now. Sheree has been able to do that in the past, uh, but it's going to be an uphill battle for both Brown and, and Sheree to, to go after Polyev. That's Dr. Dwayne Bratt, uh, professor of political science, uh, kind of runs the faculty down there at Calgary's Mount Royal University. And Erica Bruce checking in from Winnipeg, Manitoba, VP for Western Canada uh, for Enterprise Canada. Thanks to both of you. Have a great week. Okay. See you. Take yep. care. Yeah, okay. See you, Ryan. Yep. You got it. Uh, yeah. l- let us know what you think. Uh, talk at ryanjesperson.com. Uh, if I had to put money on it, I would, I would bet uh, that, and I'm not uh, encouraging anyone to put money on this and then blame me if we lose because uh, don't take Jesper's bets. Don't, don't take my bets. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I would say if I was a betting man, I am a betting man. I just don't always win, yeah. but I enjoy the, I enjoy the participation element of it, but I, I, my money would be on Polyev. Yeah. Uh, but I have a, I have a hard time believing. I mean, I think that 
he he's got uh some some loyal followers, fiercely loyal followers. He's got a bunch of people that are intrigued by his leadership. But you wonder if that whole like bringing you know Timmies and Timbits and donuts to the to the truckers and sort of standing with the truckers, the auto occupation. Uh, voters do have short memories, but I don't know if they're that short. Yeah, and you have to wonder if like the the bigger conservative movement may have concerns about how that might paint the party like this is what the party's all about i don't know that you'll get i mean you, you could certainly get one million people to feel that way can mm-hmm. you get five million people to feel that way i don't know he definitely yeah, like he does he does have that old school vibe how he's out there he's yeah. he's at the you know he's Man handing the out people, tidbits, right? but he also knows how to drum up support he knows what strings to play with his base and with other people who he who he wants to bring into the fold and even me like he, like like someone who you know i i'm kind of you know center left of center i still click on all his stuff well, it's I, interesting. I, I, you know, right? he he has that he has that pull. So yeah, there was uh, I was uh, taking a look at a Twitter thread uh, over the course of the weekend here. Uh, maybe I'll read it right now. Why not? This guy uh, Michael Gardner put it out yesterday. He says with with the Pierre Polyev leadership campaign, we are witnessing the accelerated Trumpification of the Canadian Conservative movement and and the Conservative Party of Canada and and a likely remake of the Canadian political landscape greater than the emergence of reform. In the early 1990s, which is a big deal. Obviously, Preston mm-hmm. Manning took the Reform Party to official opposition status, right? Gardner goes on to say, despite the vast majority of his lifetime income, Gardner's a strategist, by the way, a political strategist, the vast majority of his income uh, lifetime, having come from the taxpayer as an MP, he's cast himself as the outsider's advocate, and he's eating Mad Max's lunch, He's eating Max Bernier's lunch with the, with the People's Party of Canada. Says Polyev, and, and I do think that that's a really interesting storyline. Yeah. Uh, Pierre will steal back. And, and, and you look at uh, some of the strategy behind, like I don't think that politicians at the federal level, especially those pursuing leadership, are, are, are making these strategic moves by accident. Willy-nilly? No. It's not just sort of like a knee-jerk kind of a thing. I mean, some of them for sure, <laughs> but not the ones seeking the leadership. No. And I think a big part of this is probably Pierre Polyev saying that he believes that there's more ground to gain from the the, the right wing of the party, the, those that may have voted purple for Max Bernier's uh, People's Party last federal election, than there is for the folks in the middle, the so-called centrists, those that may be considered or maybe did vote for, for example, the liberals last time, or maybe stayed home. You know, your your, your small p, small c progressive conservatives. Sure. So Michael Gardner, the strategist, goes on to say he'll take the easy path to power. It runs through disgruntled white folks. Polyev is the only senior politician in Canada that's, quote, feeling the pain of these folks. He's playing to their fears, uncertainty, and to their increasing difficulty in making ends meet. It doesn't matter that his solutions are workable, aren't workable, rather, and somewhat dangerous. He says he's talking to people about what they feel in their immediate lives. He's not telling them they have advantages they don't see or feel. No one else is. He's positioning government as the cause of their pain. It's believable and it's contagious. Just like when former conservative leader Andrew Scheer the other week started talking about how Justin Trudeau, the prime minister, was the biggest threat to democracy in Canada. People are saying this is dangerous language, saying stuff like this. Polyev will win the conservative leadership, says Michael Gardner. Otherwise, moderate, otherwise moderate right-wing politicians will line up behind him because they need his constituency's votes to succeed in their own careers. That'll bring additional momentum. And instead of looking for ways to identify with the Canadians, identifying with Polyev, progressives will trash him, trash his ideas. His supporters will harden behind him. Politics in Canada will lurch to the right. 
And Polyev will run the tables in the suburbs. He'll be the next Prime Minister of Canada, says Michael Gardner on April 10th, 2022. This thread is a cautionary tale. I'll be working hard to prove myself wrong, but the path is clear. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he's casting uh, he's casting a very wide net, but yeah. I mean that's that's strategy. But right? you so, look at momentum, and right? he's he certainly understands how to create momentum, and he and, can feel it, he can and, see it. And Dwayne's right when Doctor Bratt says, you know, it's 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 relative. I don't know if it's easy, but it's relatively easy to get fifteen hundred people to turn out in Kelowna, of course, to support a conservative politician. And but, but you got to have the ground game to match that. Some pretty prominent conservative strategists and operatives and staffers have, have already joined the Polyev campaign and a lot of people when Jenny Byrne joined him early a lot of people went whoa mm. and that's kind of a big step so she's betting her money on that horse uh, so it remains to be seen you can always let us know what you think uh, and of course we will be uh, talking about this conservative leadership race as it continues of course in, in, in these next numbers of, of weeks and months these conversations happen because we've got amazing sponsors like our friends at Athabasca University Canada's online university I want to check something out live. I want to search something live. Let's think poli-sci, like political science. It's kind of a, If you wanted to be like a, an analyst or a strategist or maybe a political commentator, might that be the program for you? Let's search this live. I suspect that when we go to AthabascaU.ca, we click on programs and courses I am interested in. We'll do a drop-down menu. How about a uh, undergraduate degree? And I'm interested in what kinds of programs, commerce, health administration, bachelor of management, professional arts. Look at all these university diploma let's go with. I think that's what we're looking for. Show me programs and check this out, how easy this is. Now, you can go on. You can view the programs. You can get specific in what you want to look at. I mean, look at this. Even, I, I mean... The options, they don't just end with the university diplomas, the accreditations. There's also research opportunities here. Maybe you say, I just want to start with one course, one class. See how it feels to get back into the mix when it comes to post-secondary. It could start for you today at your own pace. That's the best part at AthabascaU.ca. Our friends at Eden Landscaping want to remind you that, you know, they know that urban front yards are challenging, right? The, the cookie cutter layout, you've got that strip of grass with a single lonely tree. Don't worry, kids, that tree will be impressive in 40 years. The grass isn't looking great. You know you can do better. Outdoor spaces are meant to be good for your soul, for our climate and the ecosystem. They've got this urban butterfly yard approach at Eden Landscaping. If you want to learn more about it, how you can bring back purpose to your yard, make it useful, get in touch with them today via landscapeedmonton.ca. And our friends at Infinity Healthcare, they want to speak to the sandwich generation. You know who you are. You're looking after your parents, or at least you want to ensure your parents are getting the best care they can. And you've got your hands full with your kids too. Maybe you're putting your kids through post-secondary and you don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars but your parents' care is your top priority. You want to make sure they're getting their medication. You want to make sure they're eating. You want to make sure that they're socializing. And you want to make sure they can stay and age at home. That's the wheelhouse, Infinity Healthcare. You'll find them online at infinity-8.ca. Be sure to ask them about their personality matching service. It's what they're really proud of at Infinity Healthcare. Well, we've got a lot going on today. Gilles, I noticed, had a question for us after our opener today. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, you, you mentioned that uh, Wyatt, our six-year-old, soon to be seven, had lost his first tooth. Yeah. He believes that he lost it uh, in, in a big scoop of ice cream. And uh, <laughs> Gilles had wondered 
what the going rate for the tooth fairy was. I'd and, like to know too as well. well. I'm not a parent, either. so I didn't know either. And and for us parents, it's been like you know 40 years for me. Yeah. When I was right? a kid, I think 38 it was a years, couple bucks, couple yeah. bucks, something yeah. like that. Well, the tooth fairy, you'll know that inflation has affected <laughs> in a good way the tooth fairy's pocketbooks as well and so yeah. uh, and so these days and i know that every family is different because sometimes the tooth fairy is going to say for example you know what if a kid loses his tooth in vancouver yeah. where the cost of living is very high <laughs> it might be different than what the tooth fairy might do if you lose your tooth somewhere where the cost of living is a little bit more modest sure uh, but in our sort of middle of the road type scenario uh, with regards to cost of living here in, in the province of alberta that I, I can report that the tooth fairy flew in and dropped a $5 bill. $5? So that was kind of a big deal. Uh, it did have Pretty word good. spread, though, uh, and a family friend swung by yesterday. Apparently, the Tooth Fairy had been in touch with him mm. and had asked him to drop something off as well. I didn't know there were proxies <laughs> for the Tooth Fairy, but there are. And and this fella came by and, uh, and kind of stole the show, and it turned out the Tooth Fairy had actually asked him to leave a 20. So he's got 20. So this was a $25 tooth. Now, what does Wyatt do with 25 bucks? Well, he told me, I asked like, him, so he? he's, he's clutching this 20. And I said, so what are you going to do with this? And he said, very matter of fact, he didn't need much time to talk about it. He said, I'm going to buy a house and a car. <laughs> and I said, well, I said, well, your mom and I kind of want you to keep living in the house with us. He said, this house is getting too small. And wow. I said, okay, so a house and a car. He's also figured out that the more teeth that he loses the more money he gets and so he's pretty excited right now i caught yeah. him in the corner trying to wiggle one out and i said just you can let it happen on its own but this is a pretty exciting stage well why it seems pretty intelligent for his age he's thinking about yeah. the future investing financial planning <laughs> he's better at it than his dad that's for sure uh this is a story obviously that, that people are having some fun with over the weekend you saw this one you've got a you've got a uh, an nba star uh, that had an opportunity to to basically uh, hit a bonus, but uh, but but you know the, these bonuses don't come easy, right? Games played bonus sixty seven games is what Drew Holiday had to hit a star for the Milwaukee Bucks. They've, they're, yeah. they're defending NBA champions. They've qualified for the playoffs, of course, but he was sitting at sixty six games played. The Bucks are resting their starters. I think they're going to be playing Cleveland in the first round. Yeah. And they're resting their starters except for Drew Holiday. So check this out. He checks into the game on Sunday and get this. He, he takes the opening tip off. Okay. He's in the game dressed. Coach puts him in and then check this out. Uh, here he is at center court and fouls the player and immediately That's walks it. off the court. He was there, Johnny, for eight seconds was Drew Holiday and because he was there for those eight seconds because he actually clocked in and he was on the score sheet there taking a personal foul he will hit his bonus of $255,000 for eight seconds of play you know I can't knock the hustle no he got it done I mean <laughs> I was talking to a pal about this uh Andrew Walker formerly of Sportsnet and 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 we're kind of joking about this and and I said uh I said I, I don't know if ownership's happy about that <laughs> <laughs> that extra quarter million dollars. He makes a good point, though. He says, if you're the coach, you're not so concerned about the owner in this context. You want to make sure that you've got your star players happy. Of course. And there is one way to keep your players unhappy, and that is to scratch them or bench them one game away from a quarter million dollar bonus. 100%. Smart yeah. move by the coach. <laughs> uh, on Friday, before we said, uh, or rather after we said goodbye on Friday, the, the Academy uh, announcing that Will Smith will be banned uh, from attending any academy-related events for the next ten years, a and, decade, and, and, a decade, and and I mean the, the the interesting note. I mean the open letter from the academy basically said the ninety fourth Oscars. 
uh, meant to be a celebration of the many individuals in our community who did incredible work this past year. Those moments, though, overshadowed by the unacceptable and harmful behavior we saw Mr. Smith exhibit on stage. This was the part that really caught my attention in the letter. They say, during our telecast, telecast, we did not adequately address the situation in the room. For this, we are sorry. This was an opportunity for us to set an example for our guests, our viewers, our Academy family around the world, and we fell short. Here's the line, unprepared for the unprecedented. Yeah. So a 10-year ban, they went on to say, we want to express our deep gratitude to Mr. Rock, to Chris Rock, for maintaining his composure under extraordinary circumstances. We want to thank our host nominees, presenters, and winners for their poise and grace during our telecast. I remain, as someone who hosts events uh, for a living yeah. professionally, I am still blown away at how well Chris Rock handled that situation. Like, I already loved, I, I'm a big fan of his, but I, my respect went through this roof for him. I mean, I, unbelievable. I think that's why people maybe thought it was staged. I mean, he didn't react very much at all. Maybe yeah. he's been taking boxing or something and is just used to taking a hit. But I, I said, know. the first thing I saw or thought when I was watching it live was this has to be staged. Oscars, you know, getting a decline in ratings over the last five, six years. So yeah. maybe they're trying to drum up support. But uh, he looked absolutely. And then threw a joke in there. Yeah. Like, what a professional. Uh, I was looking it up today, actually, Ryan. Uh, the last time that someone w uh, even had an Oscar revoked. Because I was like, can they maybe take away his Oscar? 1967, it was a movie called uh, Young Americans. And the only reason it was revoked was because uh, they were just a few days shy of the entry uh, oh. window uh, for that year. So but, nothing uh, to do with like misbehavior no. or anything like so that. So in 94 years uh, during the Oscars, that's the only time they took it back. So once I read that, I knew they weren't going to take away his Oscar. But uh, I also watched Saturday Night Live this weekend, and they on Weekend Update, they had a hilarious yeah. joke. My man uh, Colin Jost, he just said, 10 years getting banned from the Oscars, it's not really much of a punishment. I yeah. mean, that's kind of like a, a mental health break i mean yeah uh i can't imagine if you're will smith i can't imagine ever going back i don't think he would uh and um and there was also that video i'm not sure if you saw it over the weekend that that jada pinkett smith put out did you see this or she kind of no. she kind of oh this this it'll blow your mind i should have had the video for you so we could play it but it's like she basically kind of appears to blindside him in their home and she's just rolling video on her phone, and, and she's like, hey, did it, this show The Red Table, right? She goes, did it help our relationship when you went on The Red Table? And he's like, he turns around, and he just is like, his face is just sunken. And, yeah. and, and he just says, please do not film me without my permission in my own home, basically. And she goes, did it help us when we went on The Red Table, whatever? And he's like, social media, my social media presence is my bread and butter. Please do not film me in my home, please. And it was just like, what is going yeah. on right now? Um, interesting as well. I mean, people are pointing out like, you know, whether or not this is fair or just and having that conversation comparing like, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that some people, I mean, people are talking about, you know, Kevin Spacey, the Oscar winner. People are talking about Mel Gibson, Roman Polanski, um, even with regards to what would qualify as assault on stage. Right. Like yeah. like uh, Adrian Brody, Jim Carrey have both like sort of like forcibly kissed women as they've come up onto the mm -hmm. stage. Jim Carrey with Alicia Silverstone. I know it wasn't the Oscars. I think it was the MTV Awards. That or just like resurfaced that, but, as well during all this. You know, yeah, and, then, and then Jim Carrey's running his mouth about about uh, Will Smith saying if he was Chris <laughs> Rock, he'd sue him for <laughs> 200 million. Um, what do they say about those in glass houses? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of stuff, you know, Natalie Dallas tweeted from from Dallas and Texas. Uh, said Will Smith being banned from the Oscars for 10 years is astounding. They really kept giving awards to known sexual abusers and pedophiles, but a slap is where they're going to start banning people. Mm. Um, I, 
you know, there's also the 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 um, sort of the bigger conversation that people are having, which I think is an important one about performers on stage and in particular comedians mm-hmm. and how you can't normalize this type of thing. And I know I'm not the first to say it, but, uh, you know, you, you probably have some stand ups right now that are going it's it, it sort of seemed like there was that line like there was that glass wall like an invisible wall between performer and audience and 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 when will smith did that yeah on arguably the biggest stage in the world maybe the super bowl is bigger but basically the biggest stage in the world um people talk about how things become normalized and i think that that's something where you, stand-up comedians might have that in the back of their head right now Right. Yeah. Where where if 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 the consequences aren't severe enough, I mean, Chris Rock deciding not to lay charges. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the consequences aren't severe enough in a situation like this, what what sort of a message does that send? And that's a conversation I know a lot of performers are probably having. I know all comedians. I'm watching them on Twitter. All of my favorite ones are not scared, but they're worried about the future. And, uh, you know, I think I think that's the point is that this wasn't meant to be mean. Like that's what a joke is. It's not meant to be literal. It's meant to be taken lightheartedly. It's meant to be, uh, a lot of times, directed at someone you care about. And I know I've, I was looking through all the stuff Will Smith and Chris Rock have done together, different events they've been at. They were friends before this, so uh, yeah, I think uh, Will Smith, Will Smith, big mistake. Uh, but definitely the consequences. I mean, just being banned from an award show for ten years doesn't really. Yeah, that's kind of a slap. Did on you the think rest. they were going to pull his Oscar? You think they were going to take no, it? No, well, I did. I was, and you that's did? why I went on a search, and I was like, who else has had yeah. an Oscar taken away? And then when I saw that nobody had in 94 years except, you know, one uh, <laughs> measly documentary that kind of didn't get in the window, I was like, oh, he's going to keep it for sure. A measly documentary? I didn't say a measly documentary. I, I just mean. What happens if the filmmaker's watching right now? Or wasn't me- that 93 measly, years ago? <laughs> I should have phrased that better. I just meant, I just meant out a less of all the documentaries. A less prominent documentary. That might be it. So I had a, a, a few fellas over uh, yesterday. Uh, we were hanging out outside and, and had the masters going and, and, and taking that all in. Great and, masters. and of course, you know, uh, I was in charge of entertaining. Mm. And so you know what I did. Uh, about an hour and a half before they came over, I made my way to the South Edmonton Friesen Brothers location. Uh, because nice. that's where you can basically get yourself off the hook. They've got food that they can make there fresh on demand. So I walked in there. They've got this father dough pizza, which they make from scratch. Right? Like it's hand rolled dough uh, that you actually watch these specialists. I mean, these guys love watching them work, their team there. They make the pizza from scratch. And then I went ahead and did my other shopping. And I went and picked up some some hummus and some cheese and all the stuff that the, the guys like to eat. You know, I got some fried chicken, nice bucket of fried chicken made fresh right there in store. Yeah. And as they're doing this, I carry on this little buzzer. And then the buzzer goes when your pizza's ready. I love it. They box it up for you and you walk out with it hot. It's amazing. So I'm walking out with three large father dough pizzas. And who do I bump into? Frank Loveson. The founder of Friesen Brothers no. is in there having a coffee with his son, Mike, for their Sunday brunch, the Friesen Brothers Sunday brunch. The guy who started the whole thing like more than 65 years ago, officer wow. of the Order of Canada, legendary Albertan. There he is. Amazing. And I hear his voice. He goes, oh, so you're in charge of cooking today, are you? <laughs> said, what's up, Mr. Loveson? Oh, what a special guy it is. And an amazing, I can tell you, an amazing treat, those Father Dough pizzas. I personally recommend them. You can find out more about them and everything else, including 15% off orders, purchases of $75 or more on the first of the month, every month at Friesen.com. A big shout out as well to our friends at Local Environmental. You know that they present Trash Talk each and every Friday here on the show. They love talking trash 
and recycling and water hauling and portable toilets and fencing and anything else, whatever you need. If you're in Alberta or Saskatchewan, they can make it happen. They've got the big front load and roll off bins as well. If you have a renovation project coming up or if spring cleaning is going to be extra ramped up this year, look to localenvironmental.ca. Our friends at Park Power are proud to power the Real Talk hashtag. That's Real Talk RJ. Park Power, their social media game, fantastic, by the way. They do a really good job. Props. They were talking about hydrogen today on their Instagram. I'm always learning something from the team at Park Power. They're offering internet, electricity, and natural gas. And if you bundle all three, you're going to save on administrative costs. Plus, the promo code 2022-REALTALK gets you $70 off your first bill. Our friends at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge are proud to present and feature and maintain the best selection of Jeeps and Ram trucks in the province. It's because they're able to share their inventory through those two dealerships. You can browse online, including their pre-owned selection. You're looking for maybe a Ram truck to pull your trailer this summer, but you maybe don't have the budget to go new. The pre-owned selection is strong right now at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Well, every Monday, thanks to our very good friends at Kubi Energy, we take a moment to talk about how our buckets are being filled, to celebrate some of the feel-good stories out there, to hear about folks that are paying it forward. It's a feature we call Positive Reflections. And this is an email that we absolutely love. Diane sent this in to us just on Friday. We sure appreciated it. She said, Ryan, team, I stumbled across your show a few months ago. After I retired, she said it's become a regular and important part of my day. The lineup guest uh, has been incredible. Uh, many of them I was already following on social media. Many of them I've read their books like Tim Caulfield and, and Rick Mercer. She said it was great. Your interview with Jagmeet Singh a while ago as well. That was a while ago, Diane. Thanks. She says, I appreciate the timeliness, the relevance of the discussions, and I sure appreciate the format. I just wanted to say thank you for everything I've learned since I became a real talker that from Diane that is the best kind of feedback isn't it Beautiful. somebody saying that this has become a regular part of their routine that means the world to us I wanted to show you as well this story out of Ukraine obviously it's an extremely difficult time in Ukraine right now we're going to be covering it this week I mean it's been a devastating weekend and the death toll continues to rise but many Ukrainians are taking an opportunity to show their love for one another. That's right, amid remarkable circumstances, challenging circumstances, more Ukrainians are getting married now than ever before. Check this out. This is uh, Andre and Oleksandr. Check out these two. They had just heard that they were going to be heading off. Some special forces members had been basically in touch and said, you're being tapped on the shoulder, right? His bride, Svetlana, says after the meeting after we knew he was going to go we knew that we had to take a moment now they had a civil ceremony last summer but they said we despite the fact we're already husband and wife in the eyes of the state they'd not yet exchanged church vows and so after the attacks on kiev the first attacks in kiev they fled to poland she did and she's been working to help obtain thermal imaging equipment for ukrainian troops he's been working on securing material for the country's special forces to violence stricken areas these two are among the hundreds of thousands even the millions that are doing everything they can to protect their homeland but when it became clear that the russian troops would not easily overcome ukraine they decided 
that along with the other 15,443 couples that got married in the first month of the war, 15,500 couples married in the first month of the war, said a priest that married them at the Saints Apostles Peter and Paul Garrison Church. A lot of people want to get married, especially soldiers going to war. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, there's a lot of tragedy. There's terror. I mean, this is humanity, of course, oftentimes in war at its worst, but people at their best. It was a story that filled our cups. It reminded us about the priorities and about the love that people have amidst remarkably challenging times. That story, one that caught our attention for sure. And we wanted to wrap up with this one today. If you're on TikTok, you have to check this video out at Larry J. Mac, 1984. This is Larry's daughter scoring her first basket. Check this out. Nice. Right from a ways out. She runs over. Her dad runs on the court. She jumps into his arms, gives him the biggest hug. I wish I could hear what he said. And then right back on the court in time to defend. Now that is a special, special moment. Isn't that beautiful? That's from Larry J. Mack, 1984 on Twitter. If you're listening to this on the podcast, make sure you go check that out. I guarantee it'll make your day. Positive reflections come to us by submission. Most times, emails to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We'd love to hear what made your day. We'd love to hear where you're finding your joy amidst challenge And of course, it's proudly presented every Monday right here from our friends at Kubi Energy. You can get a free quote on solar today at kubienergy.ca. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll talk to Jason Kenney's former principal secretary, David Knight Legg, about Canadian energy, Ukraine, and that leadership review. And the titan of talk, (laughs) Charles Adler himself. I'm so excited for this. It'll be his first interview since he stepped away from his nationally syndicated show, Charles Adler, tonight. Chuck joins us on Tuesday's Real Talk. Thanks in advance for joining us then, and we'll see you tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer, John Hicks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.